And now, without further ado, I would like to invite uh, my colleague Jamie Watt to formally introduce the Premier. Jamie. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Premier Redford has uh, agreed to take questions, your questions, at the uh, conclusion of her remarks. So while she's speaking, you, you may want to get ready with some ones that will challenge her and uh, let, her, let her explain more about the important message that she's bringing to us today. Um, friends, the Premier's curriculum vitae is well known. Political staffer, international human rights lawyer, mother, wife, Rookie Minister of Justice and Attorney General, some would say long shot winner of the leadership race. Most, she says. <laughs> Whip smart, humane, bilingual, but the Alison Redford story is not as well known. It's a story about never giving up, of never contemplating that it can't be done, of knowing that Alberta has changed and it's time for Alberta's politics to catch up with that change, of believing in the importance of being genuinely connected to Albertans and of sharing their values, of rejecting conventional wisdom, but knowing that the wisdom of the people is as deep as the Rocky Mountains or high, of realizing that right and left are the paradigm of the last century and that right and wrong are the paradigm of this century of a leader who understands and loves Alberta, but understands and loves Canada as well. If those of us with experience in politics, and we have two former premiers here, those of us with experience in politics knows, know two things, it's this. We don't know what lies around the corner or where the road ahead will take us. But we do know if we choose someone to lead us with vision and guts and gravitas, someone who is genuinely connected to the people they serve and their lives and committed to making those lives better. If we choose someone who inspires us, then we will be ready not only to face what comes our way, but to achieve things we have yet to dream. Friends, Alberta is ready to dream. Alberta has changed, and Alberta's politics have caught up. Please extend a warm Canadian club welcome to the 14th Premier of Alberta, my very good friend, the Honourable Alison Redford. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for allowing me to come and join you today and to have the opportunity to be here in Toronto, not only because it's minus 42 degrees in Alberta, but also because it's a great opportunity still in January to be able to come back and see so many friends and colleagues. It was also a wonderful opportunity for me today to be able to meet with three people. I first met with Premier Designate Wynne. I then met with Tim Hudak. And then I had a lovely conversation with uh, Premier McGuinty. And with former Premier Eves and Harris in the room, I wanted to take a moment just to reflect on public service and the fact that what is going on right now this very week in Ontario is tremendously exciting in that we have people who have put their name forward and changed their lives for public service, and we have people that are leaving public service. 
And I have to say that I was talking to my husband over the weekend about commentary with respect to political transition. We spent a lot of time talking about that kind of stuff. And one of the things he said is, you know, I hope that we in Canada and in Ontario take a moment to thank Dalton McGuinty for his service to the province of Ontario. And so I'd like to do that today. He told me today that he is 100 pounds lighter and two inches taller. And for anyone who's been an elected politician and moved on to other things, I'm sure they can share that uh, experience. Not one that I have right now, but I would certainly very much enjoy being two inches taller. But what I will say is that as we move forward into 2013 and we think about the challenges that we face in Canada, I think it's a very exciting time. And to be able to be here to help to commemorate what will be now 115 years of service that this club has brought to the development of public policy is a tremendous honour for me. It's something, of course, that you are proud of, and it's something that we are very fortunate in Canada to have been able to have as part of one of our long-standing institutions that's developed this country. Because policy-making doesn't happen in isolation. And the best decisions are usually a result of thoughtful leadership, public policy, understanding what people desire, what people's aspirations are, what people want for their communities and for their families. And good political leadership is leadership that listens to that and understands that that conversation must be imprinted on public policy, on debates in the legislature, and in the ideas and the issues that we face as elected governments. We pick up that imprint by circulating in the public square, going back to what democracy began with. And that's why government must continue to engage with citizens across this country. And it's why we in Alberta are putting a premium on that conversation in Alberta. It's why I'm delighted to share my views on a subject that I think is critically important to every Canadian, and that is our growth and our development. So, of course, my remarks will unavoidably be rooted in Alberta, an Alberta perspective and an Alberta experience. But I do believe now that the challenges that we face are broadly similar nationwide, and so are the solutions that we will need to introduce to overcome them. These are the things that we must agree on and that we must create together. Discussion is the first step. I'll say that it's interesting sometimes to hear journalists talk about reaching out, which you've heard a lot of in this province this week. What we're fond of talking about in Alberta, which is conversations, they matter. They matter because when people are elected to public office, it does not give them carte blanche to simply conduct the affairs of state in the way that they think is best exclusively. As Jamie said, times change. Times change very quickly. The world is unpredictable, and the only way that we as elected officials can continue to garner the confidence of the people that voted for us is to ensure that we are truly understanding the conversations that are taking place around breakfast tables and dinner tables, in study halls, and at home. Now, there's no denying that if we look to our own economic future, that we can be proud of the fact that Canada has stayed relatively strong despite a crippling global recession and the very slow recovery that's now in progress. But as Federal Finance Minister Jim Flaherty has noted, even we are not immune to the economic uncertainty 
outside of our borders. An export-oriented country, we, we truly do suffer from the effects of low growth and low demand in our biggest trading partners like the US. We're all very familiar with that in our own unique ways and some of the businesses that we deal with. And stagnant trade leads to lower revenues and less money for public services. Right when the demand for those services is rising, due of course to things like changes in our demographics, uh, growing populations, uh, further economic growth, ironically, even though that we have uncertain times, in a way that's not just due to immigration, but to a society that's changing and aging much faster than ever before. Our most pressing challenge must be to protect our quality of life. And to accomplish that, we must live within our means and, where possible, diversify our revenue sources. Now, Alberta illustrates this very well. My home province is blessed, as I've said before when I've come to Toronto, with the world's third largest proven oil reserves. And they've transformed Alberta into one of Canada's leading economic engines. The benefits from the oil sands reach across this country in the forms of jobs, contracts, investment and revenues, and they spread across a web of supporting industries. Over the next 25 years, those benefits could amount to hundreds of billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of jobs for Canadians where they live today. And that total includes $63 billion worth of goods and services that we project Alberta's oil sands sector is expected to purchase here in Ontario. However, much of that success is based on Alberta's ability to get a fair price for its energy. And a fair price depends on access to markets where our energy is needed the most and wanted the most. At present, we aren't receiving that price. And we're not receiving that price because Alberta's energy exports flow almost exclusively to the United States, where demand is depressed because of increased production. And domestic production and economic growth in the long term will continue to impact that demand. We call this the bitumen bubble because the vast majority of our oil is bitumen from the oil sands, and we are certainly feeling its effects. 30% of Alberta's budget is funded by revenues from oil and gas, and this situation leaves us vulnerable to price swings. This time last year, West Texas Intermediate Oil, the benchmark of oil for North America, what you see in the news every day, was forecast to average $100 per barrel in 2012. And along with Saskatchewan and the federal government, we used that benchmark as the basis for our budget forecasts. In fact, we discounted it a little bit, just to be safe. Unfortunately, West Texas Intermediate ended up averaging $94 a barrel last year. And that difference, just that difference in price alone, has cost Alberta almost $1 billion in revenues since April. Now, historically, Alberta's oil has sold at a lower price than the North American benchmark anyway. But since September, that differential has grown. So even though we had West Texas Intermediate as a benchmark price, and we always presumed a discount in that, the price has essentially followed in parallel. In the middle of October, to the surprise of federal economists, industry leaders, our own projections, not only did the price fall, but it's split, so that we ended up receiving not a price in parallel, but a price much lower than what we saw previously. 
And that's because of the fact that we have issues with respect to nervousness around pipeline capacity and access. And it's because of the production in the United States, increased production of light crude. So right now, Alberta oil, it's fetching about $30 less per barrel than similar heavy oil from Mexico or Texas, and about $50 less than Middle Eastern oil. And this trend, this differential trend, is expected to worsen in the foreseeable future. So because of that rapidly growing U.S. oil production and the fact that we currently do not have the access that we need outside of U.S. markets, Alberta is earning just over $50 a barrel for our oil. So when you multiply that price differential by the 2.5 billion barrels per day that Alberta produces, the bitumen bubble becomes an enormous penalty for both the Alberta economy and the Canadian economy. The oil price differential hurts competitiveness in both public and private sectors. And the money that we aren't taking in, in royalty revenue, means that there is less for investment in the oil patch and less for public spending on the services that we care about, like health care and education. So we have to strain to recover the resulting revenue gap, which we foresee will be $6 billion. $6 billion less than we anticipated last year, in this year alone, 2013. Now that's equivalent to our entire annual education budget. And Canada will lose about $27 billion a year. That's $75 million in lost revenue today alone. So our government has, within our own province, some very difficult choices to make about spending. But we've decided that we can't forget to plan for the future so that we can provide the services that a larger and an older population will count on. In the election last spring, Albertans sent a very clear message. I believe that Albertans understand their role in Canada. We understand that we're an economic engine and we want to be able to continue to, accrue, to, to contribute to Canada's growth. They told us that they expect a government to keep investing in services and in infrastructure to support our communities, both from a social perspective and from an economic perspective. So the decisions that we'll make in our budget will not be to take an axe to spending across the board, because that would hit vulnerable Albertans the hardest, and quite frankly, it would stop our economic growth. If we were to take that approach, we simply would not be building. Any of the infrastructure that we need to put in place in order to ensure long-term economic success. And it won't be good enough to take the easy way out and raise taxes. We're not going to do that. Last year, we introduced a process called results-based budgeting, a process that challenges every dollar that government spends while ensuring the programs and services that are delivered to Albertans are not only delivered effectively, but are actually the services that Albertans want to receive, that have real outcomes attached to them, that make a difference for our community and make a difference for our economy, whether it's in healthcare, social services, or education. And just as likely in infrastructure. Every one of my ministers has been instructed to speed up a review that we expected would take three years. We will eliminate waste wherever we find it and we improve every year. In this year's budget, we'll hold the line on spending and we'll live within our means. But we do need long-term solutions because our population is growing. In 2012, 
we very happily welcomed 95,000 new people to Alberta. So that's a city the size of Brantford every year. And over 10 years for us, that's a million people. Slightly different than your population numbers, but we have 3.7 million people in our province. So that is a, more than a 25% increase in 10 years. Holding the line on spending when so many people are coming to our province is a difficult task. But the challenge remains. We must continue to grow for the future and we must make our economy stronger. We will put Alberta's economy on a more stable footing. And with that in mind, I have to say that I'm very fortunate to be able to call on Alberta's best and brightest for assistance. Today, we've appointed someone who I think will do a tremendous job with respect to Alberta economic development. Barry Heck is a Calgarian, a leading corporate leader, who will become our new chair of the Alberta Economic Development Authority, effective immediately. Now, this authority in Alberta has existed for many years, and I'm pretty sure that in Ontario you have similar structures. The question we have started to ask is, what are we asking this authority to achieve? Because it is no longer good enough for us to simply bring together industry leaders to come up with wonderful ideas about how to develop the economy or diversify the economy. The fundamental connection that we as a government need to make between applied research and commercialization that allows us to diversify our economy sufficiently that we are no longer relying on resource revenue for 30% of our budget is something aspirational in Alberta. And quite frankly, what has happened in the past is through difficult economic times, political leadership talks about it, and then the price of oil goes up. And everyone says, oh, thank goodness, we don't have to do that heavy lifting. But regardless of what happens with our energy revenues, the reason we will do this is because in the long term, our economy must be sustainable. And it must be sustainable without relying exclusively on energy revenue. It's an important part of our industry, our economy, terribly important to our industry. And we will continue to support it. But long-term investment in research and innovation, in ensuring that we can attract excellent researchers from around the world to transform what we do in Alberta is a fundamental priority for this government. We must build an innovative and aggressive and a diversified economy. We must partner with provinces across the country that have similar goals and objectives. There is work going on from the West Coast to the East Coast around renewable energy, sustainable energies, green energy. And we do that work in isolation. Frankly, a lot of it's done as part of academic rivalries. We as Canadians can no longer afford that. Every tax dollar that we put in to a post-secondary institution or a technical college partnering with industry to develop research must be invested in a way that we can see a long-term economic gain for taxpayers in Alberta and taxpayers in Canada. And that's our goal because as a province that can be prosperous, such as Alberta, and a nation that's as prosperous as Canada, we can no longer be susceptible to the swings in the commodity prices that we've seen at both levels of government. We will be doing work with respect to an Alberta Economic Summit that will bring together leading thinkers, not only from Alberta, but from across the country and around the world, to challenge us with respect to the decisions that we need to make as public servants. 
Now there's no doubt, and you won't be surprised that I want to talk about this, that one of our biggest challenges remains market access. And this is the obstacle that over a year ago led me to talk about a Canadian energy strategy. And there were many people who shrugged their shoulders and said, well, what does it matter? Today, whether you live in Alberta or in Ontario or in the Maritimes, we know that it matters because it's impacting our revenue. Premiers are working together in a way that I don't think we've ever seen before to support an energy strategy that can make a difference to economies across this country. You'll know that if we look at some very simple facts, as I said at the beginning of my comments, that this truly is an opportunity for Canada to continue to be an energy powerhouse, even in different ways than we have been before. We have a wealth of energy resources. We have a skilled workforce that's capable of expanding production. And that's at a time when global demand is continuing to grow. It is rising sharply. So we can and we should work to cooperate and to harness our resources, our strengths, and to further develop economic infrastructure and energy infrastructure that allows us all to benefit from economic activity across this country. That is how we increase and diversify our revenue streams. And that is how we pay for the future that we know is coming. I have to say that the strategy is working quite well because we've been able to develop, I think, agreements with individual provinces that demonstrate economic success for different premiers. Premier Selinger of Manitoba and Premier Dunderdale of Newfoundland are working with me at a working group at the Council of the Federation to explore avenues for deeper concentration. But we're already in deep discussions, of course, which you may have heard, with the government of Quebec around what it looks like to be able to put in place an economic development plan and pipeline construction that will allow for greater economic growth in provinces outside Alberta related to energy. Now, we will continue to develop access to global markets for Canadian energy producers, and we will continue to do what industry is doing already, which is terribly important as we open new markets and talk to Canadians about energy. And that is to ensure that we're reducing the footprint of energy production, that we're improving our energy efficiency, and that we're embracing alternative and cleaner methods. And we are making progress together. I will tell you that as we go through 2013, my approach is that everything we will do in Alberta and as Canadians must be about trust. I think that we all need to be, and truly are, proud Canadians that are confronting some very difficult dilemmas and challenges. Demographic shifts, market access, and a choice about the kind of country that we want to live in and leave to our children. We have an opportunity now to define Alberta from my perspective, and I think Canada, in a way that we don't get to do more than once in a generation. There is an enthusiasm amongst premiers around how we can work together to continue to develop an economic strategy that relies on resources across this country, that allows us to educate our children and to give them career options that we can't even foresee. But it will be about expanding our perspective and having confidence in each other and knowing that as Canadians our greatest success has always come from when we work together. Sustainable growth and development 
through economic challenges, truly has defined our country in the past. And as we move forward, we must make a commitment to trust each other with respect to sound policy making and understand that the paradigms of the past will not allow us to succeed in the future. I thank you so much for allowing me to be here today, and I wish you well for 2013. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, um, and thank you very much for those remarks. Um, we'll have a more formal thank you in a moment, but before that, uh, the Premier has graciously offered to take questions. Uh, we have very few rules at the Canadian Club, but one of them is, is that if you'd like to ask a question, um, we would ask, to paraphrase Alex Trebek, that you phrase it in the form of a question, please, uh, and also if you could just identify yourself so if, um, by name. Um, so uh, you'll, if you raise your hand, somebody will bring around a, a mic, and, uh, and I will help moderate the questions. Um, now, to kick it off, um, it was wonderfully heartening to hear about the collaboration among premiers today. And in that spirit, we would like to ask uh, a former premier of this province, Ontario, Ernie Eves, to ask the first question. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, I perhaps have a political, indelicate question. And that oh, is, uh, do, Premier, do you see the issue with the pipeline going to the west coast with British Columbia being resolved, is that really a political issue or is it a policy-oriented issue or is Alberta going to look in a different direction? <laughs> well, I'll start answering that question the way that I have for a very long time and that is that Alberta is an export economy and we will continue to look for options to export our product in every way that we can. Uh, I think we're still making very good progress with respect to Keystone, which is important, but it's not the only solution. Uh, as I said in my comments, I think there's very good work that's happening uh, between the private sector and, and sort of a number of policy uh, discussions uh, around uh, pipeline reversals to the east, and that's a great opportunity. You know, it's British Columbia, I think, is an example of um, a challenge that we should have foreseen would happen, and that is that as people involved in industry, perhaps in energy and resources, people involved in infrastructure, and even as political leadership, everyone sort of assumed that Canadians understood why we needed it, and that everyone knew that there were pipelines under the ground, and that this was our economic engine, and people got jobs across the country as a result of it. And we forgot to have a conversation with Canadians about why it mattered. And so we ended up in this situation where it did become a political issue. And, uh, you know, certain political leadership have certainly taken advantage of that at a time in British Columbia where the political circumstances are quite volatile. I, I do think that now that we're in this situation, there are some policy issues that we need to deal with. Uh, there's no doubt that when we look at things like the role of First Nations in consultation, that it's fundamental. And in many ways, as Canadians, we've known it's been that for a long time. And there's some important work that we need to do. I, I'm proud of the work that we've done in Alberta with respect to First Nations and economic development, but there's much more that needs to be done. I, I do believe at the end of the day that, that people are reasonable and what they want is economic and social success for their communities. And if we come at it that way, I think there are some opportunities. Whether this project goes ahead or not, I'm not sure. But I do think there's an understanding from what I'm hearing in British Columbia that people understand that there does need to be access to the West Coast, that there is economic benefit for British Columbia, and that there are things that we have to explore. I don't know what those look like right now, 
um, we'll probably have to get through the provincial election in British Columbia and, uh, and then see where we are. But the conversation's interesting, partly, I think, probably because of economic circumstances right now. I mean, people are very concerned about making sure that their towns thrive and, in some cases, survive, and that those same services that I talked about in Alberta are available to communities throughout British Columbia. So there's work to do. It's partly political and it's partly policy. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful first question. Uh, next question, please. Premier Redford, uh, thank you for being with us today. Howard Brown, Brown & Cone Communications. I'd be interested in your thoughts. You mentioned specifically the meetings this morning that you had with uh, Premier McGuinty, Premier-designate Wynne, and uh, opposition leader Hudak. You also spoke uh, this afternoon of the importance of the renewable sector, the green energy sector. And one of the things that Premier McGuinty has been pushing for is a federal government role in the green energy uh, plans of this country's provinces. And I'm just wondering if you'd be interested in sharing your thoughts of what you've had with your constituent, uh, Mr. Harper, and the idea of a federal government role in the green energy sector. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because I didn't spend a lot of time on it today, but people may remember the last time that I was here. One of the things that I talked about was the fact that if we are going to market any energy around the world, not just resources and energy that are in Alberta, but if we're going to be able to tell a story about what an energy economy looks like in Canada, it has to be a thoughtful and deliberate approach. And I know that uh, from Premier McGuinty's perspective that he has thought that in terms of priorities in Ontario, they've made a tremendous investment in green energy. Um, our investments are slightly different in that we think that uh, the work we have to do is around investment in technology to make what we're extracting more sustainable. My sense from speaking to the Federal Minister of Energy and, as you said, uh, some, of, some, of, uh, of some of the discussions I've had with the Prime Minister, is that there's a very strong sense that he has that even though our traditional paradigm has always been that energy has been a provincial jurisdiction, that it is time for us to be able to talk about some of these issues. So in Ontario, it may be related to greed energy or the way you've defined it there in terms of the political discussion in Ontario. In Alberta, it's slightly different. Of course, Manitoba is very interested in introducing, uh, you know, hydro into that discussion. But, but there is a growing uh, desire, I think, amongst everyone to say that it is in Canada's interest for all of us to be at the table on those issues. And in many ways, I think we're starting to be, and I think that'll be helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Now, unfortunately, we have run out of time for questions. Oh. I talked so, too long. Well, no, you didn't. Uh, so thank you very much, and please join me in thanking thank us. Thank you very much, everybody, and, and thank you for uh, those wonderful remarks. Um, I, I'm fortunate in that this is the second time I have heard the Premier speak, um, and the first time was in a venue quite different from this. In fact, it was in the basement of a church in southeast Calgary in the Premier's riding of Calgary Elbow. And that church was celebrating uh, its 100th anniversary and was hosting a dinner uh, to reflect that. Um, and as it was noted that evening, there were many institutions and organizations in Calgary that for whatever reason were celebrating their centennials in 19, or in 2012. And the, there was a discussion about what happened in Calgary in 2012 that so many people built so many institutions that have lasted so long. At the time, it was a town of only 45,000 people. Um, so what was it about that population and their spirit that led them to be so successful in creating so many organizations? 
And although you know we can probably all debate what that is, um, I'm sure that it is that same long-term long outlook and civic spirit that brought Alberta to where it is today, um, and that I was very pleased to hear reflected uh, in your re remarks today, uh, Premier. So thank you very, very much for being here, for sharing that with us. And uh, it was wonderful to have you, and please know you are always welcome at the Canadian Club. Thank you. And thank you all. Um, I would also like to just again express a very special thank you to CIBC and Marsh Canada, as well as Borealis Infrastructure, uh, for joining us today and for your support. Thank you very, very much. Now, before we adjourn for lunch, I wanted to take a moment just to let you know about a couple of events that we have coming up at the club. Um, in February, we'll be hosting a very dis special discussion with three people who very rarely appear together, at least in public. Um, and we'll be hosting a discussion on international investing from the front line, featuring the CEOs of three of Canada's top pension funds, Jim Leach from Teachers, Mark Nabrega from Omers, and Mark Wiseman from CVPIB. I mean, I meant to say Michael <laughs> earlier. Uh, and then following that, Graham Henderson, who is the president of Music Canada, who will be talking about driving a sustainable music industry in Canada. And you can order tickets to these, any, or all Canadian club events by visiting our website. Um, now, this formally concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. And we remain very thankful to Rogers and 680 News for their continued coverage of Canadian club events. Now, before we begin our lunch, I would love everyone to rise as they are able and join me in a toast to Canada. to Canada. Cheers. <laughs>